The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. This hour of the Costa Report is brought to you by Tableau Software and Dole Food Company. Welcome to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and thank you for joining me for another two hours of Straight Talk Radio. I want to welcome members of our armed forces who are tuning in over the Internet today, and also new listeners who are joining us from Tampa, Fort Smith, San Jose, Philadelphia, and Chicago. Thank you for being with us again. In just a moment, former Secretary of Energy, Governor of New Mexico, and Ambassador to the United Nations, Mr. Bill Richardson, will be joining us to explain how he negotiated the release of U.S. hostages from terrorist regimes in Iraq, North Korea, Cuba, and the Sudan without so much as raising his voice. How was Richardson able to be successful with so many hostile governments? More importantly, what insights does he have about negotiating with Iran? We're going to find out the answers to these questions and more in the minutes ahead. But before Mr. Richardson joins us, as is my custom each week, let me tell you a little about his background. William Blaine Richardson III was born in Pasadena, California. His father was a bank executive who worked in Mexico City, where the young Richardson spent his early years. When he turned 13, he moved to Massachusetts to attend Middlesex School. Richardson earned his bachelor's and master's degrees from Tufts University, where he was recognized as a talented baseball player. Following college, Richardson worked for Congressman F. Bradford Morse, became a staff member of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, and worked for the State Department under Nixon. In 82, he ran for and won election as a United States representative from New Mexico and served in Congress for 14 years. Under the Clinton administration, Richardson was dispatched to several hotspots, including Baghdad, to negotiate the release of American aerospace workers from Saddam Hussein. In 1996, he was responsible for the release of American Evan Hudziker from North Korea, and he also negotiated a pardon for Eladiah McCord in Bangladesh. From Cuba to Afghanistan, wherever there was trouble, the United States dispatched Bill Richardson. In 1997, Richardson became the U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations, and this was followed by his appointment as U.S. Secretary of Energy in the summer of 98. By 2003, he found himself taking the oath as the 30th governor of the state of New Mexico, where he was among the first to extend civil rights to the LGBT community and attracted an influx of major businesses to the state, including talking Richard Branson into building one of the first spaceports in the world for suborbital flight. Since leaving office, Richardson has been advising the boards of APCO, the World Resource Institute, National Council for Science and Environment, Fuel Freedom Foundation, and others. And I would be remiss if I did not add that Mr. Richardson has been nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize three times. It's my pleasure to welcome to the Costa Report one of our country's most skilled and experienced statesmen, Mr. Bill Richardson. Welcome to the program, Mr. Richardson. Thank you, Rebecca. Always great to be with you and your listeners. I I cannot think of a better person to speak to about the nuclear negotiations with Iran because I can't think of another leader who has been as successful as you have when it comes to negotiating with hostile regimes and, and coming back with what you wanted. So I thought maybe we could open today's program by asking you what the key to dealing with those regimes was and, and get your thoughts on the uh, current negotiations with Iran. Well, the key, Rebecca, is connecting with your opponent, with your co, your negotiator, who's usually hostile, does not like the United States. Uh, what you need to do is find yourself personally connected, show respect, learn something about their culture. Don't uh, bring out the uh, old talking points uh, of hostility. Uh, try to 
find a way to seek common ground. Uh, let the other side save face. Go to Iran. In other words, uh, I always went to North Korea, to Cuba, to Iraq. Go to their turf. I don't think it's much of a concession. But a lot of it has to do with finding ways where you seek common ground, you show respect, you connect personally, and then you go for uh, your objective, which is to free a hostage or uh, bring some kind of uh, peace to the region or find a way that you uh, you lessen tensions. You, you don't try to do it all at once. You, you use patience. But most importantly, you try to relate personally. You know, in Cuba with Castro, I'd speak Spanish. With Saddam Hussein, you try a little levity. You try a little sense of humor. You, you kind of go for broke because you're in a very sensitive situation and you're not sometimes i'd be representing the u.s government but other times i'd be on my own on behalf of the families trying to seek some kind of resolution of a dispute mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so let's boil this down to something specific that's transpiring now what kind of common ground should we be looking for with iran well i am positive about what we've achieved so far, but I would go further, uh, Rebecca. I believe that reducing uh, Iran's nuclear capacity, the fact that uh, Iran right now uh, seems to be recognizing that they have to move into the modern world, these sanctions that the Europeans and the United States have put on them, on their gasoline, on their oil, on their way of life, is hurting them. And so what you do is try to seek common ground on the most vital issue difference between us, and that is, should they develop a nuclear weapon? The answer is no. It affects us. It affects Israel. It affects the region. And and so you try to seek common ground. How can you reduce their capacity to build these centrifuges that would lead to a nuclear weapon? They don't have it yet. The only thing that I would add, uh, Rebecca, is, is my hope had been that the negotiations with Iran should broaden into other areas. They're a state sponsor of terrorism. They have an American Marine there named Amir Ahmadi. They have an American journalist there. They're messing around with Hamas and Hezbollah in Syria. I would have wanted uh, a little more on their behavior. Look, Iran, if, if we're going to have a nuclear agreement and you're going to be part of a, an international community of, of rule of law, uh, you know, why don't you start being part of the community of nations? Mm-hmm. And so that that's where I'm a little little disappointed. I think the administration deserves credit for what we've achieved so far in terms of the nuclear negotiations. But we're not going to know until June 30th what the final outcome is going to be. And I heard in your news broadcast before the interview that the leader of Iran is talking about, well, that they want sanctions removed immediately. Well, that's not the deal. The deal is that the sanctions will be removed gradually after after there is a, a reduction in their nuclear capacity. So there's still a lot to be negotiated, but I think face-to-face talks make sense. Obviously, Secretary Kerry and the Iranian foreign minister have a, a personal relationship that they've developed. That's good. And then the man that succeeded me as energy secretary, Ernest Moniz, uh, is a nuclear scientist, and he went to college with the Iranian nuclear scientist, who is their secretary of energy, negotiating the nuclear centrifuges. Mm-hmm. So that's very good. That's common ground. That's personal connections that have obviously helped so far. Absolutely. Uh, but, you know, the latest, as you point out, the latest news that the Iranian leadership is saying that at the exact same day they sign the agreement, they expect all sanctions to be removed that day immediately. Um, that doesn't sound like that's headed towards some agreement that uh, that makes uh, sense. I mean, I, as I understood it, what we were negotiating was something that was gradual over time. That's right, uh, Rebecca, and that's a problem. Mm-hmm. But, but however, what, what negotiators do right after they make a deal is they have to play to their domestic audiences. And one of the big questions has been, okay, the civilian leadership of Iran, President Rouhani, his negotiators, 
they've made this deal, but is the supreme leader, Khamenei, the religious leader, going to buy this? And, and he kind of makes these inconsistent noises. This latest one yes. is not a good one. The yes, it's not. It, you, you're absolutely right. It is not a good one. Now, we, unfortunately, we have to take our first scheduled break, but stay right where you are. When we return, we're going to find out whether Congress has a role to play in the negotiations with Iran. You're listening to the Costa Report. love creating salads as much as you enjoy eating them? Hi, I'm Amy Tobin, cookbook author and culinary expert. Dole inspires fresh and wholesome dishes for any meal with their wide selection of salad blends and all-natural salad kits. From the mild and tender texture of sweet butter lettuce to the crunch of classic romaine sprinkled with colorful shredded carrots and red cabbage, Dole has over 30 salad blends to satisfy every palate. If you're looking for the ultimate in convenience, try Dole's unique salad kit combinations that include farm-fresh lettuces and vegetables, mouth-watering all-natural toppings, and specially made dressings. It's all you need to make a distinctively delicious salad. The possibilities are endless. Visit www.dolesalads.com for recipes and other ideas to feed your culinary imagination. If you're wondering what to do with all that data you're creating, do I have an offer for you? Tableau is drag-and-drop software that people of any skill level can use to analyze and turn data into something actionable. That's right. I said actionable. And isn't that what all that data is for? With Tableau, you can connect to any data in virtually any format and visualize it on the fly. Databases, spreadsheets, even big data sources are instantly combined into usable charts, graphs, reports, and dashboards. People can analyze data and drag and drop at 10 times the speed of a traditional business intelligence system. But the most impressive thing about Tableau is that anyone can use it. And just to prove the point, you can get a free 14-day trial from Tableau just by mentioning you heard this ad. But do it now, because this offer won't last. For your free 14-day trial, visit Tableau at T-A-B-L-E-A-U dot com slash Costa. That's Tableau.com slash Costa. Tableau software. What's your data trying to tell you? This is an announcement for all people who want to take a risk-free challenge to whiten their teeth in five minutes using clinically proven power swabs. This risk-free challenge is for people whose smile has been yellowed by coffee, tea, or smoking. It's so effective, we challenge you to try it for five minutes to see how white your smile could be. If lines are busy, try again. Dial 1-800-973-6563. That's 1-800-973-6563. 1-800-973-6563. Our new Ford Fusion Energy Plug-In Hybrid will give you the best of both worlds, and you can drive one home today from North Bay Ford. Hello, I'm Jeff Winterhalder. Here at North Bay Ford in Santa Cruz, best of both worlds, you ask? First, our new Fusion Energy Plug-In Hybrid has a stylish body that will turn heads when you drive down the street. Who doesn't want to turn heads when you drive down the street, right? Next, our Fusion Energy Plug-In Hybrid has a progressive hybrid drivetrain that gives you an EPA-estimated 21 miles on electricity only. Then you can switch to hybrid mode and drive all the way to LA without filling up. Yes, our Fusion Energy plug-in hybrid really will give you the best of both worlds. But don't take my word for it. Come on down to North Bay Ford at 1999 SoCal Avenue in Santa Cruz and test drive a new Fusion Energy plug-in hybrid or log on at NorthBayFord.com. Is it porn? Is it feminism? I know feminism has turned off a lot of men. Yes. It has really turned off men. And yeah, I, absolutely. I, I have to say, I'm a woman. I had a mother. I have two sisters. I have two daughters. I love women. But I don't understand, Sam, what has happened to women today. They're wacky. <laughs> Not all of them, but when, these so-called feminists. Women are wacky feminists. and the men are spanking their monkeys. It's, you know, what are you going to do? Don't miss KSEO Presents Georgia every Wednesday and Friday from 2 to 4 p.m.
Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and my guest today is former U.S. Secretary of Energy and Governor of New Mexico, Mr. Bill Richardson. And you were pointing out that every successful negotiation starts with finding out what you have in common, which might be language or it might be the colleges you attended. Um, sometimes you, ha- you have to look hard, but uh, but when you do, it's, it's always there. There's some basis on which uh, you can build the discussion. Now, in just a moment, I want to ask you about whether Congress has a role to play in a negotiation like the one with Iran. But before I do... Since most of us are not lawyers or even constitutional scholars, would you mind explaining when an agreement reached with a foreign nation is really a treaty? Yes. Um, For instance, this agreement with Iran, uh, the administration is calling it what is known as an executive agreement because they don't want to submit it to the Congress for an up-and-down vote. Uh, But, Rebecca, constitutionally, when... Uh, two nations reach an agreement that involves, in many cases, national security, exchange of troops, uh, all kinds of uh, legal frameworks that deal with diplomacy and business, then it is submitted as a treaty. But in this case, because it's just, for instance, nuclear agreements where the executive branch, the president, has foreign policy authority uh, without approval of the Congress because it doesn't involve an appropriation, then that is what is called an executive agreement not submitted to Congress. But uh, again, I think there's the big debate now is should it go to Congress because it's so important. It involves Israel, national security, Iran, and nuclear weapons. And uh, I, I think the consensus building in the Congress from what I sense, and I was in Congress 14 years, is that Congress should have some kind of a role. Mm-hmm. Now, now, obviously, the president, the secretary of state, and other members of the cabinet, they negotiate agreements with foreign countries all the time. Uh, so how often does the Senate get involved in these agreements, and, and why pick on this one, uh, in your view? Well, this one is, is really very important. It, it has the, uh, the potential to transform basically the Middle East, because Iran has been an antagonist of not just the United States, but our main ally, Israel. It is deeply involved with Hamas and Hezbollah uh, helping the Syrian dictator. It is deeply involved. Uh, It's a nuclear uh, country that is aspiring to nuclear weapons. Plus, it's a member of OPEC. It has uh, unbelievable amounts of oil. So, uh, I think because of the magnitude, Rebecca, of, uh, and the power of this country and their hostility, uh, historic hostility towards us, Congress is basically saying, look, Mr. President, we, we need to have a role in this thing. And, and I must say, as much as I think this Congress is hostile, dysfunctional, has not been helpful in, in, in being bipartisan, uh, I think the representatives of the American people have have a role. The question is, what kind of role should Congress have? Should it be an up-and-down vote? Should it be a vote on reviewing the agreement, which is the one that's gaining steam? Uh, obviously, Congress can impose additional sanctions, and, and what could happen in this case is if uh, the Supreme Leader of Iran keeps saying that sanctions have to be lifted, well, you know, the U.S. Congress has a way of, of, of saying, no, that's not going to happen. In fact, we're going to put additional sanctions. The issue is also Europe has sanctions against Iran. Germany, uh, several countries uh, have sanctions regime that really affect Iran in their oil, in their gasoline, in their investments, in their banking. So this is a, a, a huge international issue. It's not just us and Iran. Well, as you point out, and this is where things get really tricky, is that uh, any agreement that the president would like to make can be made uh, without congressional approval, provided that it's an executive agreement. But on the other hand, uh, Congress could vote a whole bunch of new sanctions. That's right. And and, and so you get rid of the old sanctions, right. and one day later, yeah, sure, we're going to lift all the sanctions. Same day you sign the agreement, the following day, here comes 30 more. That's right. And see, what the president is trying to figure out right now and the administration, their strategy is, 
look, the Congress probably will take some action that we don't like. Do we have the power to override a veto? Because the president would be very strong in probably saying, I'm going to veto, for instance, additional sanctions legislation. The issue is, does he have the two-thirds vote uh, to override? And that's that's the question, because a lot of Democrats that, uh, for instance, have strong ties to Israel are not entirely convinced. But I've been involved in these debates before on the Gulf War, on, yes. on the trade agreement with Mexico, and the executive branch, the president, the White House, the State Department, they have a lot of power. You know, they I'm not going to say this openly, but they kind of give certain little goodies out to congressmen to, to persuade them to vote the right way. That, that's right. But this is where calling it a treaty, I think, comes into play, because the minute you say it's not an executive agreement, but we're going to call it a treaty, it automatically is subjected to two-thirds Senate vote. Uh, do I have that wrong? I think that's right. No, no, you're you're right. You're right. But but I think what the, the White House is trying to do right now is say, okay, maybe the Congress should have a uh, an up and down vote uh, after reviewing the final agreement, because I don't think the Congress will do anything until June 30th. That's when the negotiators have to come up with a piece of paper mm-hmm. that 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 explains all these di- differences that exist right now since they made the deal in Switzerland. So uh, I think the administration has a little time to find a way to find some Republicans the chairman of the Foreign Relations Committee, Senator Corker, is probably the key guy who, who maybe will say, okay, we'll have a, an up-and-down vote, but th- that it's not entirely binding, that so and such and such a provision has to be submitted to Congress. It's right now, again, Rebecca, negotiations. Uh, right, right. You're absolutely right, but, but it seems to be going the other direction. Charles Schumer seems to have jumped on the bandwagon and wants an up-and-down vote now, too. So... Uh, I, I don't know. You know, to me, it's just splitting hairs. I, I, I just think you go ahead, you call it a treaty. It certainly has the widespread definition of a treaty. It does involve security issues. It involves more than the United States. You call it a treaty, you subject it to two-thirds up or down vote. Um, I, I don't, you know, I come from a corporate background. Uh, I never went into a boardroom without knowing how the board was going to vote. I never, I never just went in there blindly and said, well, I'll just put something in front of the board and see how they vote. I went to every single board member and said, how are you going to vote? Let's figure out how we make this happen so that I knew how people were going to vote. <laughs> I, I, it just seems like common sense. I'm not quite sure why the president has not uh, consulted the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, uh, first of all. And second of all, this letter that uh, went directly to the Iranian leadership just seemed, you know, that that seemed like a, a way of firing back. And that's just overall not speaking in a unified voice. I don't know. It just rubs me a little bit the wrong way. Now, unfortunately, I'm going to get your response to that on the other side of this commercial break. We, we're on a hard clock here, and I apologize for that. We've got to take another break here. But uh, we'll be right back with more from Mr. Richardson in just a few moments after these messages from our sponsors. You're listening to the Costa Report. Have you checked out the Costa Report blog yet? Well, what are you waiting for? There's no quicker way to find out what newsmakers are saying than the Costa Report blog at RebeccaCosta.com. It's where the former CEO of Apple and PepsiCo, John Scully, predicts where the next tech breakthroughs are going to come from. And also where Trent Lott explains why a GOP reversal of the Senate nuclear option will signal real change in our nation's capital. And the Costa Report blog is where you'll discover why Alan Dershowitz is worried that ISIS is adopting Hamas-like tactics. You'll find all this and more at the Costa Report blog. A new blog is posted every week, and they're short, pithy, and tell the unvarnished truth. Just go to RebeccaCosta.com to get the latest blog. That's RebeccaCosta.com. And while you're there, be sure to register for updates and breaking news. The Costa Report blog, bringing you the news the big networks don't and won't. 
I'm here with Sharon and Ron of the Bay Briar Shop, Soquel. On Porter, 3015 Porter, off of Soquel Drive. Come to the Bay Briar Shop and get Longevity products. You have probably the greatest selection of the most popular products where you can just go in and buy it with cash, right? Yes, absolutely. Uh, basically, you can come in and get the product, pay cash check or credit card, and walk out with the product. The Bay Briar Shop. 3015 Porter, off of Soquel Drive. And Soquel. What's the phone number? 475-1751. See you at the Bay Briar. Hi, Registered Pharmacist Ben Fuchs here. I've been studying healthy bodies for 35 years, and what I've got to tell you may shock and surprise you, but if you listen up, it may change your life. Certainly most people have heard about carbon monoxide, but usually only as a toxic gas. In fact, the toxicity associated with carbon monoxide, the stuff that composes much of what's called air pollution, is what most of us think about when we think about the odorless gas. And in fact, carbon monoxide is toxic and a leading cause of accidental poisonings. And according to the American Medical Association, it kills 1,500 people a year and sends 10,000 people to the hospital every year from leaking chimneys and furnaces and water heaters and wood stoves and such. It's one of the toxic compounds in tobacco smoke, especially secondhand smoke. And make no mistake about it, if you breathe someone else's smoke, you're being involuntarily drugged and toxified. There's lots of ways to protect yourself from carbon monoxide toxicity, but none is more effective than plain old ascorbic acid or vitamin C. We're hearing a lot of gobbledygook about ascorbic acid is not really a vitamin and not really vitamin C. And while that may or may not be literally true, the fact of the matter is ascorbic acid, which is readily available and inexpensive, is a very potent nutritional detoxification substance. In addition to neutralizing the toxicity of carbon monoxide, ascorbic acid's chemical reaction with carbon monoxide serves to stimulate respiration, that is breathing, further improving carbon monoxide elimination. Even if you're not sure if you're dealing with carbon monoxide poisoning or any other toxicity, you never know, and using 1,000 milligrams a day of ascorbic acid is just a good all-around detox insurance policy. Pharmacist Ben here urging you to go to kscohealth.com to order Beyond Tangy Tangerine, the Healthy Start Pack, and other nutritional supplements that I personally use and recommend. You can purchase these premium quality products at wholesale prices online at kscohealth.com. That's kscohealth.com. I'm the pharmacist that believes that staying healthy and strong is not only about medicine, it's about giving your body the raw materials it needs to do its work. Go to kscohealth.com. Make sure you check out the cool videos, too, at kscohealth.com. That's kscohealth.com. 4791080, you're listening to Flight 1080, KSEO, Santa Cruz, Kelly Souza, Dave Michaels, Ben Picard's floating around the studio somewhere. What is this? A studio? What is this thing called? A fuselage? Yeah. What are we sitting in? It's a fuselage, right? It's hot fuselage. as hell in the damn plane, man. What's wrong with the air conditioner? <laughs> Somebody crack a window open. That's Dave Michaels, the Sully Sullenberger of radio. Catch Dave, Kelly, and Ben on Flight 1080, afternoons 4 to 7 on KSEO AM 1080. Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and if you're just joining us today, our guest is Bill Richardson. So getting back to uh, Congress's reaction, what was your opinion of the letter uh, sent to the Iranian leadership indicating that any agreement uh, could be overturned by the next president? As one of our best and most experienced negotiators, was there any advantage to that? No, it was a very bad move by a group of senators that even before the agreement was reached to send a letter to a foreign leader who is also hostile saying that uh, whatever was negotiated would be rejected was just unprecedented. It was a very bad move and uh, I wish it hadn't happened. I think those senators also regret having done it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but on the other hand, can that be used as sort of, listen, I can only go so far, otherwise I'm not going to have the support of the American people. Um, can that be used in negotiation as some sort of limit to how far the president can go? Yes, Rebecca, I, I think it can be used. See, here's my hope that Iran will now look at the difficulty in getting this approved in the United States Congress and in with the American people. And Iran hopefully can then take some steps, some that I think are fairly easy to do, to show the Congress that they're ready to be legitimate partners, like release that American Marine, Amir Hakmati, release that American journalist from the Washington Post, find some way in which they can work with Russia and the United States 
to, to have a transition in Syria, to stop messing around with Hamas and Hezbollah. I know I've got a, a tall order, but, you know, hopefully we're saying to Iran, look, you know, these statements you're making that sanctions have to be lifted right away, this is a tall order. If you really want sanctions lifted and an agreement with the United States that will be good for your country, you've got to be cooperative. You've got to do certain things. So, yes, it can be used, uh, but it, at the same time, that letter did undermine the negotiators. But the negotiators came through with an agreement, I believe, on the nuclear side that's, that's a plus. I wish they had done more on the behavior side of Iran. Yes, I, I understand what you're saying. I, I guess if I were put in a position where Congress had sent that letter, I'd go back and say, well, as you can see, this is not a done deal. Don't make my job harder when I go back to the United States, <laughs> because it's it's not a done deal that just because we come back with an agreement that this will uh, be approved by Congress, uh, and I would want their formal or informal support. So, uh, you know, release those hostages and, um, and, and play nice so we can get the American people's approval and support on this agreement. Uh, so in that respect, I, I thought the letter could almost be used uh, advantageously. But, you know, then again, what I, I'm not I'm not there and I'm not negotiating with the Iranians. This is all a hypothesis on my part. Now, one of the things which seemed to uh, recently energize the Congress with regards to these negotiations was the visit uh, and speech by Prime Minister Netanyahu uh, that he made before Congress. What were your thoughts on that speech? Well, again, um, Rebecca, you know, in the days when I was in the Congress, when I was in the administration, uh, we had a relationship with the Congress where yeah, there was uh, negativity, hostility, but we'd get things done. This was unprecedented, the fact that a foreign leader would accept an invitation from a speaker. It just looked too partisan, too Republican, and, mm-hmm. and you know, not notify the administration, even though you know Israel's a great friend of the U.S., and I kind of like Netanyahu. I like his spark, but I, I think that he he's alienated a lot of... Uh, Democrats in the Congress embarrassed the president a bit. But, you know, this is politics. This is a new hyper-negativity in our political process, the dysfunctionality of, uh, of, of like, foreign policy. We used to, a partisanship would stop at the water's edge. And, and so it, it's a very bitter atmosphere that, that exists today when it comes to our foreign policy relationships. Right. Well, you know, the analogy I use is it's not good for mom and dad to argue in front of the kids. You go in another room and shut the door. <laughs> you know, and I, That's right. and, I, and, I, I know, feel we are arguing in front of all the world to see. And I, I'm not uh, I don't feel proud of that uh, that that position uh, that our leaders are taking. I know that when you were in Washington, if there were disagreements, you know, you walked right into someone's office and shut the door. And that's yeah, the way I it should have been. Tip O'Neill uh, and Ronald Reagan, they'd argue all day. They'd throw darts at each other, but then they'd have a, a drink at six o'clock. And they'd say, <laughs> all right, how are we going to resolve this? That doesn't happen anymore. And it's really, it's really not good. And I think one thing we need to do is despite whatever happens on this Iran agreement, we've got two allies out there that have been our friends in the region that we need to build up our relationship again. One is Israel, the other is Saudi Arabia. You know, these are our anchors there, and they're not happy with us. We're not happy with them. There's turmoil everywhere, so we got a lot to do. Mm-hmm, we do. Now, one thing that has bothered me is the relationship that Iran has had with North Korea going back to the 70s and 80s. Iran's been buying weapons from North Korea. So obviously one option Iran has is instead of making those weapons, they can subcontract that job to North Korea, who's only too glad to take it. Uh, large companies do this all the time. Sometimes it's it's more efficient to buy than make. So just how worried do we need to be about the likelihood that North Korea will play a role in Iran's uh, nuclear future? Well, they're playing a role. That's the worrisome situation. And in fact, you know, President Clinton used to say whenever uh, he wanted to send me somewhere to negotiate, he said, well, bad people like me. You know, <laughs> He did. He well, said bad people like him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, bad people like me. But, but this is the case. 
what we have to be worried is, you know, bad people gravitate towards each other. The Syrians, the Iran, North Korea, in the old days, Cuba. And I think it's good we're, we're making better with Cuba. I think that makes some sense. You reduce one less enemy out there. But, but uh, that's the danger, nuclear materials shipped from North Korea to Iran. North Korea already has nuclear weapons. They have six or seven. They have missiles. They've developed their nuclear capacity. We don't want them trading around with Iran. This is why it's a good idea, Rebecca, to reduce nuclear centrifuges of Iran so they don't build a weapon. Uh, that's the purpose of these negotiations. The problem is, one, can you trust Iran? Can you verify this? Will there be enough inspectors to go into Iran? But you don't have to. I guess my point is you don't have to build them. Even if we stop them, they stop all the centrifuges and they stop all the building, they can buy them. They can buy them. But, but I think with inspectors, with verification, you can keep an eye on them. It's not going to be perfect. You can't mm-hmm. totally trust them, but... Uh, what you want to do when you have sanctions on them, and that's what's got them to the table. The fact that you know they can't, uh, they have to import their gasoline. This is a uh, import their food. This is a huge oil power that is is been I won't say brought to their knees economically, but this is why they're negotiating. So the biggest weapon we have on them are these sanctions. This is why. Khamenei, uh, the leader, saying they got to come off right away. Well, that's not going to happen. So uh, again, I well, think in many ways, I I love that he said that because it means the sanctions are working. That's right. That's right. But but they're playing to their audiences. You know, like uh, I'm sure we we're doing the same thing. We want to get this through the Congress, the American people to support it, and 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 the the Iranians are doing the same. They they have a population there. They 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 have elections that are not free but they they will people politicians want to stay popular they want to have public support for what they're doing and it does seem that the iranian people from little i've seen polls demonstrations they they like this agreement it's this religious leader who is enormously powerful there who who might put a cramp in the whole thing yeah absolutely um now we have to go to our last break But stay where you are. We'll be right back with more from Bill Richardson. You're listening to the Costa Report. If you're wondering what to do with all that data you're creating, do I have an offer for you? Tableau is drag-and-drop software that people of any skill level can use to analyze and turn data into something actionable. That's right, I said actionable. And isn't that what all that data is for? With Tableau, you can connect to any data in virtually any format and visualize it on the fly. Databases, spreadsheets, even big data sources are instantly combined into usable charts, graphs, reports, and dashboards. People can analyze data and -and drag-and-drop at 10 times the speed of a traditional business intelligence system. But the most impressive thing about Tableau is that anyone can use it. And just to prove the point, you can get a free 14-day trial from Tableau just by mentioning you heard this ad. But do it now, because this offer won't last. For your free 14-day trial, visit Tableau at T-A-B-L-E-A-U dot com slash Costa. That's Tableau dot com slash Costa. Tableau Software. What's your data trying to tell you? I'm here today with Scott Caraccioli of Caraccioli Cellars, and I have a question for you, Scott. What goes into making Method Champenois Bubble? You know, it's a process that's really defined by the French government that we've taken and enacted into our wines, which really drive the quality of our sparkling project. So this is a process that the French government defines pretty specifically, and you remain faithful to that. Yeah, 100%, and in some places we push it a little bit. Now, how do the bubbles translate on the palate? You know, it really gives you that vehicle, that mousse for the character of the sparkling wine, carrying the fruit and the complexity. It's the expression of the wine. 
To find out more about Caraccioli Wines, visit us at www.caracciolicellars.com or stop by our tasting room in downtown Carmel, California. That's Caraccioli Cellars, C-A-R-A-C-C-I-O-L-I. Cellars, come taste the difference. If you're an artist or want to learn to paint, this message is for you. This coming April, there'll be a worldwide gathering of artists to learn art. Paint together outdoors and experience the largest gathering of artists in the world. And lucky you, it's nearby. Artists are flying in from across the world to be at this giant event for artists. And you lucky dog, you're local. And you don't have to pay for airfare, rental cars, and hotel rooms. If you love to paint beautiful landscapes or want to learn from the world's top art instructors, join us at Monterey Convention Center this April. Look into this event for artists now. It's called the Plain Air Convention. Plain Air is a French term for painting outside, like Monet. There are classes for people who have never before painted and classes for experienced painters. Learn from the very best in the world. Want to learn more? Go to paintersconvention.com. Yes, paintersconvention.com. That's paintersconvention.com. When you see a dripping faucet these days, you run to the hardware store. But the real urgency may be the leaking we can't see. And that's the electricity leaking from the circuits inside our walls. But wait, if you can't see the trons leaking, how do you know you're safe? Let's ask the doctor of circuits, Chris Jensen from JM Electric. Chris, what can we do? Thanks, Charles. And yes, electrical leaks are a real danger. What you can't see can hurt you. You may not be able to see leaking electricity, but JM Electric's testing equipment can. Our state-of-the-art tools can find hidden dangers behind your walls. And JM Electric is happy to help folks out with a free home assessment to see if the current safe testing service is right for your home. Give us a call at 422-7819. That's JM Electric at 422-7819. Folks, don't let a leaky electrical system keep you up at night. Give my friends at JM Electric a call. They can make your home safe, just like they did mine, and now I sleep better at night. Give JM Electric a call, 422-7819, or visit jmelectric.com. Tell them I sent you. Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and my guest today is former Secretary of Energy and Governor of New Mexico, Mr. Bill Richardson. Uh, Speaking of North Korea, um, following uh, last year's cyber attack on Sony Pictures, you urged the U.S. to designate North Korea as a state sponsor of terrorism and and to increase punitive sanctions against the country. But you've also pointed out that... uh, uh, Kim Jong-un has uh, been a victim of bad publicity as well. Can you speak to that for a moment? Well, I made a mistake in saying a victim. I, 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 I meant to say that he'd gotten a lot of bad publicity and deserved it. But, you know, I don't know. It was very early in the morning, so I used that <laughs> word victim. So, it was before you had your coffee, and that's completely yeah, forgivable. I mean, it was one of those, uh, you know, we're in the West Coast, and I was doing an interview. In any event, what, 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 what I do think, uh, in your news report before the program, another cyber attack uh, on the United States, I think this is really a new kind of warfare, and uh, North Korea was involved in that Sony hacking thing. I don't think they did the entire thing. They obviously had some disgruntled employees, but I think digital media, cyber attacks, uh, there's a new kind of warfare out there, new kind of cyber terrorism, and we just got to be ready. And, and I, I think the, the way the North Koreans understand force is, you know, putting sanctions on them makes them uh, come to the negotiating table, and that's what I was suggesting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I when I look at the big picture, uh, it's a little bit disconcerting as just a civilian. Uh, last week we had uh, Vladimir Posner uh, speak to us from uh, Russia where he made it clear that uh, we are returning to Cold War hostilities with Russia, no matter how anybody paints it. Um, uh, and then after the Arab Spring, we've had greater instability in the Middle East um, uh, with the rise of ISIS um, North Korea keeps doing demonstrations of their nuclear missile capability. Um, it, it, it feels as though the world is much more unsafe, and I don't know if that is just the way the media is portraying it. Now, you have been around for a long time. This is, this is your wheelhouse, foreign affairs. How do you see this landscape? 
Well, at the same time, I, I do think President Obama has uh, rebuilt coalitions that we used to have where we work together with Europe, uh, with other countries on a lot of these problems. But there has been an explosion, certainly in the Middle East with the Arab Spring, where this uh, thirst for countries to remove autocratic regimes has sometimes produced alternatives that are not friendly to us. But the Russia relationship, Rebecca, is is a very important one, and, and it's really in terrible shape right now. Um, I think Putin is trying to regain the old Russian-Soviet uh, Union mantle of, of greatness that doesn't exist anymore. So he's doing these ill-considered ventures in Crimea and Ukraine, but at the same time, you know, Russia and the United States, we, we have nuclear weapons. We have to have arms control. We need to work together on Syria. We need to work together in, in Iran uh, on energy issues. Uh, their economies falling apart. We have a lot of investment. There are a lot of U.S., Russian, uh, Americans uh, are in our country. So we need to rebuild that. But part of the problem is just this changing dynamic of the world. Uh, where the international economies are changing, but populations are, you know, exploding and wanting more freedom. And then you've got digital and social media, new forms of expression where where people, you, you can't communicate just by press release. Now everyone communicates through Facebook and Twitter and, and, and these new ways of social media. And yes, and well, one of the big forward. changes that Posner uh, pointed out was that uh, it, during the Cold War era, the Russian people weren't necessarily in agreement with their government uh, and, and that they sort of liked the American people. They didn't like the American leadership and government, but they liked the Americans. They thought they were kind of cool and hip. Uh, but uh, this seems to be different this time around. The Russian people don't like Americans also, not, not just the government, not just the president. And they're, fully supporting po- uh, they're fully supporting Putin and his actions right. in Crimea right. and, and the Ukraine. That's very different from what we had in the Cold War. That's right. I mean, you look at polls in Russia and Putin is at 80% favorability. No American politician has that. So he continues with this drive to to integrate uh, the old Russian empire. The problem Rebecca is you can see that uh you know these assassinations of the opposition leaders, the jailing of those uh, singers, uh the 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 fact that Putin is is starting to develop some internal dissent and I tell you what will drive Putin hopefully into doing more of the right Thing is the Russian oligarchs who start losing their money and their fortunes because oil prices are down, the ruble is down, the Russian economy is hurting, less investment, that that interestingly may be the, 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 the push that brings Putin to some kind of sanity. But again, we, we, we don't know. It's a very turbulent time. Is that the only lever that works in the modern day uh, political arena? Uh, we've been talking about sanctions against North Korea, sanctions against Iran, which has brought them to the table to negotiate. And uh, we're talking about the Russian economy on its knees now because of oil prices and surpluses. Is that the way that we bring peace about I, I I'm just I know I, I didn't plan on asking you this question but it's it, it's sort of all looking the same well it is it's a tool in American and European foreign policy in other words you don't want to have military action so short of that the first option is diplomacy negotiation the second option is part of diplomacy you employ sanctions and that has hurt Russia especially the European sanctions when the Germans and and the European countries that have a lot of joint projects with Russia put sanctions on that that hurts them but Russia counters they de- they have about 40% they develop 40% of Europe's natural gas so uh, they don't want to overdo the sanctions the Europeans so it's it's a balance but yeah that that has become a very potent tool but back to uh, your point when you have strong diplomacy you don't need sanctions that's right and and this is where 
I think you need you need not just governments. You need business leaders. You need uh, scholars. You need UN envoys. You need you know I'm, I'm not advertising myself, but you need people outside of government to try to to bring uh, sanity to crazy people and crazy regimes. And 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 this is something that. Uh, Probably, uh, you know, the days of Jimmy Carter and uh, Jesse Jackson and, you know, I was doing quite a bit of this and uh, many other U.N. envoys. My hope is the Pope. I think he can be a, a very super uh, envoy in, in bringing some kind of sanity to these conflicts around the world. But we, we do need this international leadership. Something needs to happen. To well, I have one last question, and uh, I blame you for bringing it up. Any plans of returning to Washington? Because I took, Mr. Richardson, I took an informal poll around here at the radio station, and every single person I spoke to said I'd vote for him for president. <laughs> A little late, aren't we? Aren't we late? <laughs> No, I'm, you know, you have one shot. I had my <laughs> shot. I didn't do too well. I have a nice foundation. I, you know, I'm with my family. I live in Santa Fe. Maybe I'll get back in someday. But right now, no. I'm. I'm oh, but do we need you? What I'm doing, talking to you. And do we need you more listening. than ever, Mister Richardson? I, I, I hope. Well, you know, I'm headed out to Santa Fe tomorrow. Well, oh, so I am. Yeah, I am going to ask you one other question. Do I need a coat? <laughs> uh, you don't need a coat right now. It's, okay. It's a little chilly, but don't bring a coat. All right, we're uh, we're headed sunny. into springtime in Santa Fe, and before yeah, we take, and before take a we a little sweater, but not a big coat. There you go. All right. Well, we are out of time for today, but before we let you go, I do want to thank you for your many years of service, and I want to put in my request that you do go back to Washington because we have never needed you more. Thank you, Mr. Richardson. Thank you very much, Rebecca. All the best to you. If your station is leaving us after this first hour and you have a question or comment to make about our interview with Bill Richardson, you can email me at RebeccaCosta.com or drop me a note on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. We are all over the Internet. My guest next week is Mexican drug cartel and heroin expert, the legendary DEA agent, Steve Peterson, who's going to paint a shocking picture of how violent cartels have infiltrated the United States and just how prolific the supply of heroin has become and how much the media is underreporting the daily violence. Don't miss P Steve Peterson next week on the only news program that puts policy ahead of politics. Now stay tuned for another hour of Straight Talk Radio. You're listening to the Costa Report. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.